Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Good morning, good morning. I'm Cooper Pizzagna, National Recruiting Analyst with 24-7 Sports. Alongside, as always, my colleague Andrew Ivins, covering the states of Florida and Georgia and Drew Hope you had a great Mother's Day weekend. We had a lot going on this weekend. Dylan Rayola, the number one quarterback and the number one player overall in the class of 2024, coming off the board late last night, going to the Ohio State Buckeyes. We'll talk a little bit about him. We'll talk about the weekend that the Florida Gators had with two commitments in Creed Whitmore and Najee Harris as well. We'll talk a little bit about Lucas Simmons, his fourth time over the weekend to Florida State and to Tallahassee. And we'll talk about the Hokies, uh, the Hokies who we don't talk about not nearly enough that the, the 36th ranked recruiting class. Now they're just starting to pick it up in the first year of the new head coach on the recruiting trail. So drew, I want to talk about Dylan Rayola kind of came out of the blue, uh, so to speak a little bit late last night, but the number one signal caller in the class of 2024, 6'3, 225 pounds has great NFL genes. The son of Dominic Rayola who played 14 years in the NFL I'm going to take a look at this list, read this out. Let me know what you think about Ryan Day's track record at Ohio State. 2018 lands a transfer from Georgia, Justin Fields, first-round pick of the Chicago Bears. Kyle McCord follows up after that. Number 49 player, C.J. Stroud, their starter right now in the Heisman race last year. Quinn Ewers enrolls early, reclassifies, and then transfers to Texas. Devin Brown last year, now Dylan Rayola. It's quite a track record, don't you think? Oh, yeah, man. Isn't uh, C.J. Stroud weren't NFL scouts when they did uh, Ohio State's pro day drooling over him? They're all saying, what is this kid coming out? I mean, no, this Absolutely. is uh, quite the, the group. And we talk about what the big three, the big four in the class of 2023. Well, you start peeking ahead to the class of 2024 and, you know, Dylan Raiola is one of the best, if not the best. And that's why we moved him up to number one in the country for the longest time Jaden davis a quarterback out of north carolina he was sitting in that pole position a guy we had seen at the fbu all-american bowl a guy i really like um and as you know we started learning more and more about this class it was clear rayola was the guy uh and he ends up committing to ohio state now i think that you know gives them some some ammunition and it allows them to start building not only your 24 recruiting class around Dylan, but also your 2023. Now, some of these wide receivers you're chasing, you're going to say, hey, man, the future of this room is really, really good. We like Devin Brown, an All-American quarterback, a guy who can sling it around. We got him coming in two years behind him. And, you know, depending how the redshirt situation works out, now you got Dylan Rayola who can, I don't know, throw it all around the yard. You put on those highlights. He's a big frame passer. Uh, kind of mobile. I really like his game. Obviously, you know, we have him ranked uh, that high. So uh, I think this is a statement. I, I, I just want to point this out. I mean, I mentioned Jaden Davis. I mean, he had visited Ohio State a bunch as well. So Ryan Day kind of set the set the stage or, or, or presented his staff with a situation where they could pick which guy they wanted. Uh, and obviously, you got to get it across the finish line. But um, the Buckeyes under Ryan Day don't seem to have too much issues doing that. And this is a, a monster win. And it's really the first big domino to fall in the 2024 cycle, which is a bit crazy to say right now. But quarterback recruiting is always so accelerated. Yeah, you think about it, not a quarterback ranked below number 50 in the country uh, in terms of overall player rankings uh, since Ryan Day has gotten there. Pretty remarkable in its own right. But a little bit about Dylan Rayola. Talked about him yesterday. Kind of had a quick analysis after he committed. But this was a guy, and, and I know we can get carried away with comparisons, but there's a lot of Patrick Mahomes in his game in terms of the play style. You look at the frame. You look at the multi-sport background participation. Both have, have, have pro-athlete genes. Patrick Mahomes' dad played in the MLB, was a pitcher. Uh, Dominic Rayola, who we mentioned, played 14 years in the NFL uh, with the Detroit Lions. But you look at Dylan Rayola, already 6'3", 225 pounds. I think that's going to be something to kind of keep an eye on. In terms of the big frame, it kind of reminded me of DJ Ua Angolale 
who's now at Clemson coming out. I don't know if he'll be hovering around two, 250, 260 pounds, but this is a guy who can make every throw on the field, 32 touchdowns uh, to, to only five interceptions last year, completed 65% of his passes. That, to me, is what's interesting. We see a lot of guys who are, who are extremely talented, big frame, strong arms, Drew Aller to name one. And Drew Aller had an excellent senior year, but was only a 60% passer. To me, about Dylan Rayola, that's really what makes him so intriguing is what type of floor he has. We'll, we'll get to see a little bit better competition next year as he transfers to Chandler High School. But, Andrew, before we we move on, I, I thought this was interesting. I was talking about it with Chris Singletary last night, another national recruiting analyst, talking about where does Dylan Rayola kind of fit in the quarterback fold Hypothetically, if he were to move into that 2023 class, I thought that was a fun conversation. We're so high on that quarterback class. I, I, I just kind of want to get multiple opinions on, on on where you think is he in that top five conversation or is he on the outside looking in? Well, I think he is. And, you know, I, it was funny. I was going to say that, you know, we were talking about spacing these guys out. Obviously, you had Devin Brown, who's another big frame passer, another really talented kid. He's already on campus. He's up there at Ohio State. You know, how do you space these guys out? And then you know, it seems like it's becoming more and more common for some of these big dogs, these guys that look, you know, further developed along to reclassify. And it's like, how, how do we know that Dylan's not going to potentially do that? So I think if he was, I mean, clearly you're going to have your, the the big three up front, Arch, uh, Malachi, um, or Arch, Malachi, Nick, Nico Ayamaleeva. And then, I, you know, I, I think you could put him maybe kind of in that, fourth, fifth, sixth grouping category, you know, where you got Dante Moore and, and whatnot. I think that's kind of where I would slot him. So, you know, that's potentially in the 32, but I, I that's, that's how I kind of see it. Um, just, just shooting from the hip right here. Fun conversation to have there. Now moving on from the Buckeyes now to Billy Napier down in Florida. Drew, we're going to talk about Billy Napier. We're going to talk about Mike Norvell, Florida, Florida State. Obviously, you covered that area. What did you think of the weekend that Florida had? They get two commitments, one from a top 24-7 standout in Creed Whitmore, an athlete who can do a little bit of everything but could play his future football in Gainesville at the receiver position. And then Najee Harris as well, a three-year starting left guard uh, from IMG, certainly a guy that fits the bill in the SEC. What do you think of those two additions for Billy Napier and company? Well, they're commit number three and four for Billy Napier and his staff here in this 23 cycle, but they're my favorite commitments by far to date. You know, they obviously got Aaron Gates committed, Tyree Patterson, a wide receiver. We've discussed a lot more of a developmental guy. But to me, I love – Creed Whitmore, what he brings to the table, where uh, the Gators are apparently going to try to play him. When we keep talking about it on this show, uh, and I keep discussing to whoever wants to listen to it, I think Florida right now, what they're kind of missing is some dynamic slot playmakers, a guy that can create chunk plays, turn a five-yard gain into a 15-yard gain on a consistent basis. And to me, Creed Whitmore is someone that has the potential to do just that. We're talking about a guy who has played the past two years strictly exclusively at quarterback for Buholtz High School right there in Gainesville. And he's been super productive, led his team to the state uh, state playoffs twice in Florida's second highest classification, um, does a lot of zone read option stuff. Yeah, he can throw it, uh, but what really makes him, I think, special and unique is how he kind of wiggles and, and, and shakes people in the open field. And obviously that translates very well to wide receiver. You know, I saw him last year at Florida's Friday Night Lights at camp. Um, and it was a loaded camp with wide receivers. I mean, you had Evan Stewart there, uh, Darren Golden, Lawrence there. I mean, there, it was it was a who's who. And Creed Whitmore was just as good as those guys playing wide receiver. And he was quick to point out to me when I talked to him before he made the commitment, you know, most of his his brother, I mean, his brother Trent plays at Florida. You know, most of the, the family's friends are all quarterbacks. So he actually normally catches passes in the offseason. So I don't think that transition is going to be that hard for him. I think it's a huge get for Billy Napier. I think more and more schools were just now figuring out about Creed Whitmore after he went 10-8-5 in the 100-meter dash. So not only can he wiggle, he can pull away from you in the open field. My player comp, Slade Bolden, uh, the wide receiver for Alabama, you know, he was kind of the guy in the slot, uh, Mr. Reliable at certain times for the Crimson Tide. I think that's the perfect uh, comparison for Creed Whitmore. I think Creed could be that. And what's interesting is Slade Bolden also played quarterback coming out of high school in Louisiana. So I love that pickup. And then with Najee Harris, I mean, I don't know if there is a more, you know, more uh, mauler that can move and get to the second level uh, better than him in the class of 2023. Yeah, you know, he's going to have to rework the body a little bit. He's a little top heavy. 
Uh, but he's got a ton of mileage on those tires, having already played two years at IMG Academy, started as a freshman at West St. Uh, Lucy Centennial. So I, I, I love these two pickups. I think with what Florida's trying to do, uh, they're getting two program guys, two guys that want to be Gators, two guys that check all their evaluation boxes. And I really think Florida's geared up to go on a, a pretty nice run right now. And I, I think the month of May and when we get a little into early June is going to be very fruitful for Billy Napier and the Gators. I wrote about it in Coop's Corner this week on Monday, but you can kind of see the foundation being laid with, with Florida and what they're doing. They did a really good job since the spring getting their top prospects on campus, and that really hasn't come to fruition yet. And Creed Whitmore and Najee Harris aren't a guy that are going to dominate a lot of headlines, but at the same time, you talked about it. Whitmore was a guy that we we uh, moved up the board recently into the top 24-7. We liked him. The verified data backed that up. And then you start talking about the genes as well as mom, a three-time all-conference volleyball player at the University of Florida. His dad played at Central Florida as a receiver. And then two of his brothers, also Division One football players as well. So football is in his blood, and that's what he is. A three-phase player can do a lot of different things. I really liked his tape on the defensive side of the ball as well, but played quarterback. I think he threw for over 2,100 yards, another 700 on the ground. Uh, the production, the projection, uh, and the pedigree all there for for Creed Whitmore. So a lot to like. And then the Najee Harris, you turn on the film there, he's playing on an offensive line last year with Tyler Booker, Francis Mawagoa. He's kind of anchoring it in, in, in the middle of that offensive line at IMG, playing very good competition. And you said it. He, he's about 6'3", 335 pounds, and not a lot of room to grow, but certainly a guy with a very high floor, offensive coordinator and offensive line coach Rob Sale getting a very good football player and Najee Harris. So the Florida Gators, we talked about it. I'm very high on what they're doing. Uh, they they kind of have a really good idea for who they are they don't stray from that and i'm interested to see billy napier's first full recruiting cycle but drew now we're going to move on to florida state just down the road in tallahassee lucas simmons one of our favorite guys we got to see him in person he is catapulted up the board as his stock continues to soar one of the best offensive linemen in the class of 2023 mike norvell alex atkins offensive line coach and offense coordinator of florida state doing a great job with lucas simmons and his family his fourth time on campus. He's got a couple more official visits and then hopefully trying to make a decision by July or August. What's the latest with Lucas Simmons? Well, I think this was a monster visit for Florida State. And I think I've said this now two or three times since they've gotten Lucas Simmons on campus. We know Florida State has had struggles up front along the offensive line. Really, you know, all of the big three in the state of Florida have. Florida's had those issues. Miami's had those issues. And FSU has had those issues. Um, so shoring up those units is important. I think that's why Mario Cristobal, who's got an O-line background, is at Miami. I think that's why Billy Napier's got two O-line coaches in Gainesville. And then when we go to Florida State, Alex Atkins, he's the offensive coordinator. You know, he's he's got an offensive line background. He's an offensive line coach. And I think he's done a really good job of kind of uh, adding some some one and done or or two and done transfers to really transform that unit uh, and make it where it's at least competitive in the ACC. We saw kind of some of that at the tail end of the 2021 season. Now, to me, with Lucas Simmons, he represents a guy that the Seminoles haven't really been had a chance to get in a few years. I mean, this is a legitimate prototypical left tackle, blue chip kid. Yes, he's from Sweden. Yes, he's very raw. Um, but you know, this is a guy that you could think could be your your blindside protector for two to three years based on what we need. So he's such a priority for Florida State. Um, I, you know, I wrote a while back that he was, you know, I think Roderick Kearney, another in-state offensive lineman from the Jacksonville area. He's another guy Florida State's been on for a while. So I think if they can get those two, you know, that would be a really good sign about where things are going for Mike Norvell. And, you know, our guys at, at Knowles 247, they had a full recap of, of Simmons' unofficial visit. It sounds like it went really well. And the one thing that I, I, stuck out to, to, to those guys at Knowles 247 and sticks out to me is Florida State's going to get the final official visit here. And I think that's super important. Now, I, I kind of handicapped this as a USC-Florida State battle. And I'll add that I think Florida has made up a ton of ground here over the past four or five weeks. They're also going to get an official visit in June. So, you know, we, we, we talked about Florida getting hot just a few minutes ago. Um, that's one of the guys I'm keeping an eye on for the Gators. I, I think Billy Napier and that whole staff has done an excellent job. And if, 
you know, Florida State were to lose uh, Lucas Simmons to Florida, I think that stings a little bit. Yeah, you know, if Lucas Simmons ends up out at, at USC, you know, he, he has no, he has known none a ton of those coaches from their times at, at different respective schools. But Florida getting in kind of late and pulling him away from from Florida State would be, I, I think, a pretty critical blow. Um, when we think big picture for Mike Norvell as he enters, um, you know, you know, keeps continuing in his tenure. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We talked about Florida. We talked about Florida State and the sweepstakes for Lucas Simmons. Are you surprised Miami's not in this, given the, the background of Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal? Yeah, no, I am. You know, I think we did discuss this a few weeks ago. You know, I, when I thought Miami, uh, Mario Cristobal is coming, Alex Mirabal is coming, these are, these are offensive line guys, and I'm not going to sit here – and argue against their evaluations or whatnot, but I just go back to what Oregon was was essentially almost doing in the in the 2021 cycle or 2022 cycle. You know, they're in on a, a bunch of big names from around the country, and we just haven't really seen that so far um, with with Miami and and with uh, with Mario Cristobal and, the, and these offensive linemen. Lucas Simmons was on campus for their big junior day in January. Uh, and I talked to him and I asked him about it and he just didn't seem to really like it. And I think sometimes that happens, you know, you get on campus, uh, the shoe doesn't fit and you want to go somewhere else. But I am absolutely surprised that Miami is not in this one. It's a different type of recruitment, Mario Cristobal in Miami. We used to say that all the time during my time at Oregon. It, it was a different aggressive style. It's, sometimes it's not for everybody. I think nine out of ten times it usually clicks. Maybe the one time is Lucas Simmons here. But Simmons already taken an official to Oklahoma State. He'll have Tennessee. Uh, as well, coming up, USC, Florida State, uh, you mentioned getting the last visit and then Florida also in there as well. So we'll be keeping a close eye on that one. Drew, I want to pivot over now to Virginia Tech. You kind of brought this to my attention. Crystal ball leader uh, for a quarterback that's going to be making a decision out of Buford High School in Georgia, Dylan Wickey. And he's kind of an interesting case as a guy that does not have a varsity start under his belt at Buford. Now, given the case, that is because he is spent last year behind Stanford signee Ashton Daniels. But in his limited time, 63% uh, passing efficiency, seven touchdowns, zero interceptions. Tell us what you think about the three-sport athlete from Buford. Yeah, you know, Dylan's a guy I, I, I've seen uh... – you know, I was at Buford's first game last season, and uh, one of my buddies that works at another school, they, they were telling me about this kid. Hey, that hey, we think this kid's going to blow up, uh, but he's not going to start this year. So this was, uh, you know, last summer. You know, I, I think he's an interesting prospect. The thing that stands out to me is the fact that he, from a testing standpoint, might be one of the best athletes for when it comes to quarterbacks in the class uh, of 2023. Four, five, five kid. Uh, in the 40 yard dash, 4-3, I think 4-3 and change on the short subtle, 37 inch vertical jump. So he t he tests off the charts um, and he can run the football. I mean, Buford kind of used him as a change of pace quarterback. You know, from my understanding, he would come in essentially every third or fourth series in a game, regardless of how it was going. And they would let him throw the football. But his 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 moneymaker was running that 
you know, RPOs, a little read option stuff, and he, he could take off and get down the field. So he's a guy that, you know, we, we only have an 84 on him right now. It's a pretty low ranking, I would think, for a quarterback. Um, you know, just because I think we want to see a little bit more, not a huge seven-on-seven seven guy. But, man, I could see him having a huge senior season for Buford, um, it, playing in a, a pro-style type of system in, in a school that always competes for state championships and kind of moving up the ranking. So I just think, to me, it's interesting – um, you know, that Virginia Tech has, is pushing for this guy now because there's just not a lot of questions. But that's kind of the that's kind of the reality. Once you get out of that top 20 guys at, at quarterbacks, you got to kind of roll the dice. And who knows, maybe Dylan Whitakey, uh could be a, a guy that wins some games on Saturdays. I think you said it. I think it's a calculated roll of the dice by Virginia Tech and their staff. But I mean, look, go to the numbers, four, five, five, like you said, four, three, one, 37 inch vert. Uh, this is a dynamic athlete, a three sport athlete. I think when you see him, you see some snaps under center, which you like as well. You see a little bit of the baseball background uh, in his release, in his motion. So like you said, at 84 right now, I can certainly kind of see him working his way up the board as he gets uh, a little bit more exposure heading in. Uh, to this season but Virginia Tech the Hokies also add another defensive back from DeMatha in Maryland uh, and Dante Lovett and this was a guy pretty interesting I watched him this morning played a little bit of cornerback played a little bit of safety came from the same school as DeMarco Helms who's now at Alabama and kind of reminded me of him this is a guy that's very versatile I think speed was a little bit of a knock coming out as it was for Helms but a really versatile player and you you see the value that he's at it to the Crimson Tide secondary. Drew, I don't know how much you've seen of Dante Lovett, but I like this pickup for the Hokies. You know, I do as well. And uh, I've actually seen – one of those kids, I don't know how I've seen him so much given where he lives, but I've seen Dante Lovett probably two or three times in person, whether it be at camps or, or just working out. And this kind of reminds me of a, a throwback to what Virginia Tech used to, to, to roster – uh, with their defensive backs. I mean, they used to put guys in the NFL all the time. And I think Dante Lovett, you mentioned it, versatility. Is he a safety? Is he a corner? I think you can kind of play him out all those spots and, and figure it out. Probably his calling card will be a, 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 in the box or on that back end as a as a strong or a field safety, somewhere in that area. But I, I just think it's interesting with what, what Brent Pry and, and his staff are doing. It seems like they're getting some momentum going right now. Uh, they could potentially have their quarterback in the fold here. They get a Dante Lovett kid who is – right in their backyard, a, a guy that, you know, maybe doesn't seem like a big deal on paper, but go, to go into the math, the Catholic, get that guy committed. I, I think that's a big deal. And right now, Virginia Tech sitting number 36 in the recruiting rankings. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. They also recently picked up a commitment from an offensive lineman who has one of the best names in the class, Hans Hammer, uh, who I think is originally from Europe. So Brent Pry. Uh, and I know our, our colleague Steve Wolfong recently wrote about this. That he's trying to get things going on the recruiting trail, and it, it seems like a big week for the Hokies. Yeah, kind of following that that Beamer footprint, really kind of uh, trying to invest in that DMV area, which he should smartly. Uh, Penn State has also had a lot of success there as well from his time with the Nittany Lions. So, Drew, kind of moving on to a couple different topics. You brought this one up as well, the, the summer official visits. And I'd be interested to, to hear what you have to say about this. But strategically, how, how teams are going about maybe scheduling these as opposed to getting the last visit, like we talked about with Lucas Simmons, which will also be in the summer for Florida State. But I remember when I was in it on the team side of things, we always wanted to really kind of aim to get that last official visit really closer to December in the early signing period. Is that kind of changing? Or are you seeing any trends with that? You know, I, I just something I was talking to a few college coaches, you know, they're out on the road down here in South Florida making the rounds for the, the, the spring evaluation period. And there's different theories and, and different ideas. You know, one ACC school, um, they told me they're trying to get as many kids on campus for official visits as they can in June because they want to get them committed. Um, and then, you know, most of July's dead and then you're right into fall camp. So their idea is let's get our recruiting done right now. Uh, we're going to bring the kids in the highest priorities. Those are the kids that are going to come in the earlier on in in the in in the calendar for us. So that first recruiting weekend is going to be a huge recruiting weekend for this school, right? And then it kind of fizzles out in, in terms of how the board lays out. You know, the second weekend maybe it's some of your more, 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 some of your plan Bs and and plan As. I thought that was interesting. You know, there's some other schools out there that don't want any business with when it when it comes to summer official visits. And on the, the, the counter to that as well, I think UCLA just had a big official visitor weekend. They had multiple guys on campus. So it's just interesting to me 
Um, you know, I, I was really wanted to pick your brain. I mean, what do you think the best strategy is? I, I, I would think location plays a big factor, your game day environment. Um, but it seems like some schools are all in on getting everything out of the way right now while others uh, want to take a step back and kind of let, let it play out. I talked this week in, in the article that I put out about program awareness, talking about Iowa State and, and really kind of how they see themselves, but how they're viewed perceptually as well. I think that's so important. At Washington, we always talked about the benefit of maybe some guys that weren't from that Pacific Northwest area or whether guys that were recruiting from Southern California. We wanted them to see the city during the summer. That was really important for us to, to get those guys up to campus see campus, see the facilities uh, during that time of the year specifically because that's when we felt the weather was the best and that was the best time to make our pitch. Um, so I think each player is going to present a different type of scenario and how you want to approach it. I do not think you can take the cookie-cutter approach, though, like in terms of saying, hey, we want to get our guys up in June, get them committed, kick the can down the road, and, and, and have these guys sign in December – Sure, like that that that's a nice uh, concept in theory, but at the same time, on the back end, now you only have one official visit to campus. You you have to understand the financial limitations that some of these prospects and their families have geographically, what they have to overcome to get to your to your campus. So you have to take all of that into the equation. Uh, sometimes you want them, you want to be the last visit. Uh, because it's important that you get the last word. Sometimes you have a player that's extremely talented, but they're very wishy-washy in the process. So there's a lot more strategy that goes into it in terms of the timing of getting guys to campus. I think each place is going to be different, not only where they're placed geographically, uh, but what they feel they need to do to land the signature at the end of the day. Like I think these schools down in Florida are very smart to get players and their families, as are all programs, but spring, summer, get those guys uh, to campus as much as possible. That's a beautiful time of the year, especially in South Florida. And there's more time, face-to-face -face time, that you can invest uh, with the players as well and not have to worry about game planning on a Friday night uh, and game day as well, where the official visit during the season just kind of takes away and you don't really get that intimate time with the prospect and their family. So it's different for everybody, um, but it, it, that is certainly something that's fascinating and kind of see that play out over time. Uh, so we'll, we'll see who has success with that and see who doesn't. I just want to add this. You know, I was talking to uh, Sharif Denson, four-star cornerback, right? He puts out his top five yesterday. I started asking him, hey, what, what June visits you got set up? He's like, well, on June 1st, I'm going to camp at Alabama. And I'm like, well, they're not even in your top five. He's like, I know. Like, I just got to go work out to see if I'm going to get that offer. And it's just, you know, it's just crazy when you take one school that's already knows who they want. And then Alabama, do they just essentially operate on their own timeline? You know, it's like, hey, you know, that, that's their official visit weekend. You're going to come work out for Nick Saban. And we'll let you know if we want you. Yeah, we we talked about it. I mean, Peyton Kirkland was another example of that, right? So uh, a top 24-7 offensive lineman who was wanted by Florida, Miami, and most of the in-state schools in Florida. He'll go camp with Alabama, I believe, or at least we we talked about that at one point, but I, I think there are only two programs in the country that have the ability to do that. I think that's Alabama and I think Georgia has started to kind of reach that point now where they can kind of pick and choose at least defensively uh, who the guys that they want as their board uh, begins to settle. But that's that's a very uh, fun dynamic to, to keep an eye on as well. But Drew, one of our last topics today, Zay Flowers, receiver at Boston College, article came out, says he was approached over the offseason, uh, about a $600,000 NIL deal to go play somewhere else, decides to stay with Boston College. I wrote about this this weekend, how I thought college football, all, all the drama and the melodrama of college football and the NIL deals and all this type of stuff is starting to remind me a lot of the NBA and NBA free agency and trade deadline and, and stars of uh small market program or small market organizations wanting out and forcing their ways to markets like Los Angeles, Miami, New York. And now the NCAA is coming back retroactively and we're going to have all these regulations and all that type of stuff. But I don't want to talk about that. The Zay Flowers deal, which we could just use him as an example. We're starting to see this more and more. What do you make of it? And what is just your general feel on how it impacts schools like Boston College and how they have to kind of react to this going forward. 
So, I mean, Zay's actually a kid I covered uh, when he was at university school. I think, a lot, you know, this this draft storyline hasn't played out yet. It will. Uh, him and Kenny McIntosh, Georgia's projected running back one, running back two. They're on the same team, and it was kind of Kenny McIntosh and this other kid, Josh Sanguinetti. That's everyone everyone wanted to know about them, right? And Zay Flowers was the, was the other guy. He was the guy. And it's just crazy that he shot onto the scene he was. But he was also – one of the most humble kids. And I think I read recently that he has lived, grew up in a household of 13 siblings or, or there was 13 individuals in the household. So the fact that, you know, he turned down this NLI money or NIL, excuse me, money says a lot. I mean, I, I was just talking with a college coach about this, you know, with the whole um, Jordan Anderson situation and, and, and Zay Flowers. And my kind of takeaway is I think this is going on more than we even know about right now. You know, I had a college coach telling me, hey, one of my guys who's just a starter for me, you know, he was getting approached by schools and it's really NIL agents, right? They get on the phone with the kid. Hey, do you want me to start working for you? And then they go and approach these collectives out there and see how much money they can get. They're almost shopping their kids going around right now. And this is what this college coach was telling me. So I think it's just it's it's a it's a really, really weird dynamic right now. You know, I think if you're one of these college coaches out recruiting during the early signing period, it's like almost like, what am I doing? You know, I'm, I'm rec- trying to recruit these high school kids at the same time. You know, I still got to make sure my guys on my roster are staying. And obviously we got past that May 1st date or no one's going to enter anymore or there's going to be less guys entering. But I thought that was super interesting. He brought it up that, you know, just just a guy who maybe second team all conference consideration. He, he's got collectives or, or someone working for him trying to find him a collective. And I think that's just kind of the state it is. And then this college coach brought it up to me. He's like, I think we just got to weather two years of this. You know, at some point, you know, regulations will be put in place, whether that's a salary cap, collective bargaining or whatnot. I kind of agreed. I think the market's going to correct itself. Some of these collectives paying X amount of dollars for certain individuals. I mean, me and you know it, Cooper. Um, You could think this kid checks every box, but there's still a pretty high bust rate once you get on a college campus and and the bullets start flying. So I'm interested to see, you know, how it shakes out. But I think, you know, I think there's a there's a cap on how long this all this lasts. I'm not I'm not going to name any names, but was talking about it with a colleague about how there's a prospect out there and believes his dollar value is between I think between seven hundred thousand dollars and nine hundred thousand, and and this is all hearsay. But I mean to think that and and me thinking of what I know about the player, it's it's just hard for me to fathom that that is even going on in terms of the high school level uh, as well. So. We'll see how that all that shakes out, Drew. Uh, one last question for you, and then I'll let you take it away. If you have any topics, anything else you want to want to talk about, because we are running a little bit early, only a thirty-one <laughs> minute show today. But I kind of set this over under today. I've been doing daily questions on on the Twitter. I set win total for LSU in two thousand twenty-two, and I know I'm probably catching you by surprise here, and you haven't looked at the schedule. But at seven and a half for the Tigers, and I know we like to talk about the Tigers on here. Would you say that would be a successful season for Brian Kelly if if they eclipse seven wins and, and maybe get in that eight, nine win territory? Oh, I think so. I mean, the game to me, you know, and I, I guess I'm actually somehow prepared for this, is like I don't think we're talking enough about how big LSU, FSU is week. Is that week one or is that week zero? Week one. Week zero. Yep. Okay, week zero in the Superdome. Like, I inject this into my veins, right? You got Mike Norvell, who absolutely needs a win, right? I mean, for so many different reasons, he needs a win. He's going to play a cupcake the week before. So this isn't going to be some new look. They're going to have at least some reps underneath them. And then you got Brian Kelly. And to me, you know, I think LSU's roster is going through a transition, right? You know, they've obviously lost a lot of guys to the Sundays, I think, you know, when there's a transition, a transition classes coming in, you know, the recruiting drops off a little, not recruiting drops off, but you're not getting your, your grade A prime A guys. It's a lot of, you know, everyone you're kind of taking, there's a reason why you're taking them. And there's a reason why someone else isn't taking them. And then, you know, they got some transfers, but it sounds like they could potentially start a a true freshman at left tackle in that game. So I, you know, I think that's just, it's going to be fascinating. I, I believe in Brian Kelly as an X and O's game day coach. You know, I, I think he's going to have his guys prepared, Mike Denbrock there. Um, so I, I'm just super, you know, interested to see how that goes because I think it's going to dictate either either blue blood season. You know, if Florida State comes out in flat, I mean, how do they rebound from that? If LSU wins, you know, I think that could propel them and give them the momentum they need. And that's obviously going to give them a burst on the recruiting trail. So, you know, looking at that schedule, 
you know, I, I, I think the first five games, five, six games are, are, are absolutely winnable for, for LSU. So I do think getting to that, you know, that number seven is obtainable. They got Florida state and then they play Southern Mississippi state, New Mexico at Auburn. I mean, that should be, you know, one, two, three, four, five wins. And then you just got to get two, three more. I, I, I do think that that's obtainable. And I do think that would be a success for Brian Kelly. Cause that back end of the schedule is pretty loaded. That's a good point. I, I'm I'm really kind of looking to see what they do at the quarterback position. We've we've talked about it a little bit on this show. Miles Brennan, six-year senior. You also have Jaden Daniels, the transfer from Arizona State, who has plenty of starting experience. And then you have Garrett Nussmeyer, who we talked about extensively after the spring game uh, and what he's shown already. Only a redshirt freshman. To me, that is going to dictate where Brian Kelly is in terms of what the expectations are for this year. And it's not saying that Garrett Nussmeyer is not your best option in Kelly's first year, but this is also, you talked about starting potentially a freshman uh, left tackle and Will Campbell. So you could have a freshman left tackle anchoring your left side of the line of scrimmage. You could have a redshirt freshman at the quarterback position for Kelly yeah, maybe the expectations aren't sky high in year one, but you get to grow, you get to develop organically, which not a lot of programs get to do nowadays. And expectations at LSU are sky high. Year one with a new head coach, knowing the roster transition and overhaul that they're going through, this might be your one opportunity to capitalize on a little bit of a window with the Tiger faithful. Play your young guys, get your youth out there, let them get get some experience and that's going to benefit you in the long run as well. So, and like you said, Lucas Simmons could, could end up choosing Florida state in the Knowles. If they fall flat in September to LSU, I'm going to be really interested to see how the Knowles back back for, uh, bounce back from that. And, and does Mike Norvell bounce back from that as well? Uh, Drew wrote about it on Monday. I keep plugging Coop's corner, uh, but Iowa state and, this is something that like Iowa State is in a doing more research on them. They're in a great position. Uh, you know, five consecutive winning seasons, uh, their first nine win season in the first time over 20 years. All that has happened since Matt Campbell uh, came over to I Iowa State and Ames in 2017. They have not, to my surprise, had a recruiting class higher than number 48 in the country which is crazy to me. They just had four guys drafted. Uh, we, we know the developer of talent that that Matt Campbell is. We know he believes in his culture, his roster-building philosophy. But if you're Iowa State, and I always thought this was quite the conundrum. This is where I thought we were at Washington. We were at this middle ground. We had overachieved to, to, to some extent. We went to three straight New Year's Six Bowls. We had a playoff appearance in 2016. But how do you go from good to great, not just sustaining maybe Big 12 or Pac-12 superiority? And, and Iowa State still needs to get there as well. But how do you take the next step in becoming a contender in the Big 12? And now with Texas and Oklahoma leaving, we know Iowa State has done a good job kind of finding some diamonds in the roughs in the stiff Florida. We've talked about that. But what do you do if you're a Matt Campbell to take the next step? Is that going into more geographically competitive territories? Is that is that being a little bit more aggressive in the transfer portal, knowing that there's an opportunity to capitalize with Texas and Oklahoma moving in the SEC? And we talked about 32 players getting drafted in the state of Texas. None of them went to Texas. So I do think that there is a, there is a lot of opportunity in the state of Texas as well. It's kind of why I pose this question. You know, I... I my thought process is if it's broke, if it isn't broke, don't, you know, don't try to fix it. Right. And, you know, I think the answer would be to get a little bit more aggressive in the transfer portal. To me, um, you know, I was talking with a college contact and um, about a kid from Iowa state that had entered the transfer portal, right. Uh, Michael Antonio, a cornerback from right in my backyard, a kid we like developmental type prospect. He goes there for two years and then he enters the transfer portal. And, you know, I texted the guy right back. I'm like, this is the kid that needs to stay at Iowa state for three to four years because he knows if he stays for three to four years, he can be an NFL guy, right? He needs to get developed. Um, so, so for me, I, I think they just got to keep doing what they're doing. You know, I, 
I, we're seeing it a little bit more, you know, Iowa State getting uh, into maybe some more high profile recruitments. But I think the biggest thing for Matt Campbell is they seem to identify they want a certain type of character or a certain type of individual. You have to check these boxes because, like I said, they want you to come in and they want you to get developed. They don't want guys that want to play right away. Um, so I, it's a, you know, how do you kind of balance that juggling act? Because it, it takes time to develop guys and, you know, you, you want to get better right away with that transfer portal, but I just think it needs to, to make fit to make sense. So for me, I think the answer is going to be stacking some more of these recruiting classes and just, just developing and, and staying the course. I mean, that, that would be my answer right now. They're sitting number 30 overall in the recruiting rankings. You know, I, I always say, when Iowa State offers a, offers a kid, you got to do a double take because normally they're on some of these guys much earlier than others. So, um, to me, I think the answer is just just to sticking what to what they're doing. I think the foundation is there. You you talked about it. And I wrote about this a little bit, but you don't stray away from what you've been doing. That that's the nuts and bolts of who you are. That's what's gotten you to this point. But I do think there is room for a pivot. I do think there is room for a little bit of a change of course if that that makes sense you're you're Iowa State now you have a reputation and I talked about this a heightened sense of program awareness you have now taken another step uh over the last five or so years since Matt Campbell arrived there in 2017 now it's time to take another step what's that look like I think for them it's just staying the course but you talked about being confident in who they are identifying maybe guys that are a little bit more high ceiling of players. Maybe it's a little bit more competitive recruitment, but in terms of your track record, flaunt it. In terms of where you're going, flaunt it. In terms of you having a young, impactful head coach who gets it, flaunt it. Get behind that uh, and, and really bang the table for that and, and sell Iowa State in the Cyclones. I mean, I, I, I love Iowa State. I love Matt Campbell. I love what they're doing. I just think a lot of these teams, they kind of get to a fork in the road and they just say, okay, let's just keep doing what we're doing and we'll stick to our process. And you kind of hit a little bit of a ceiling. So I'd love right. to see Iowa State uh, really kind of take that next step. It reminds me of, a, I mean, you're, you're asking the question, but it reminds me a few years ago of when Brian Kelly, uh, Notre Dame, they're in Orlando playing in the, what is it, Verbo Citrus Bowl. I don't even know what it's called now. And you brought up about how, you know, they had been recruited, they being Notre Dame had recruited so well, but he felt like they could just, kind of gear up to that next level just a little bit. And, you know, ultimately we see Brian Kelly leaves for LSU, but I think you're kind of bringing up the same big question with Iowa State. You guys are right here. You know that you can get a little bit more out. So what's the answer? What do you do? Um, I go back to that last cycle, Greg Gaines, wide receiver out of out of Florida. I think that was one of the biggest wins for um, Iowa State because that's a legitimate potential wide receiver one in the Big 12, a guy that I thought – you know, some of these Florida schools are going to regret not making a move on. You know, why didn't Florida go after him? Why didn't, you know, Miami, Florida State, where were those guys? And, the, and they get great gains in the boat. So maybe it's finding and identifying those blue chip guys that that check your boxes when it comes to character and just being aggressive, not being afraid to go head to head with those programs and, and see how many of them you can get. Early identification is is always a key. If you're Washington, if you're Iowa State, and you're one of those developmental programs, Cincinnati, we talked about that. I think the confidence and the conviction, you talked about that with Florida. If, if, if you have the combination of early ID, and this is what people don't understand, Creed Whitmore and Najee Harris, we're going to be talking about those guys for a long time. And those are going to be two really good football players at the University of Florida. Um, and foundational pieces, like we talked about, they, they fit – a certain type of player that Billy Napier wants to bring in. Matt Campbell, very similar in his approach. That is key. Ohio State does that at an extremely high level, and they're a potent recruiting program. But now you've seen Florida do this as well. Iowa State has, has done a little bit of that. I think there's still room to grow there for them. But, Drew, one of the last things, I kind of want to change gears, and I feel like I'm so alone on this, but I'm watching this Arch Manning recruitment play out, and we hear so much about, Texas and we hear so much about Georgia and now Alabama is pretty deep in with Eli Holstein at some point maybe maybe that pops right another top 24 7 quarterback who's very highly regarded in his own right and then you got Florida and then you got LSU kind of lingering around to me two programs that are just kind of wait and see but you got Brian Kelly with a really good track record at Notre Dame and then you have Billy Napier, 
who first impressions have been excellent and very grounded, very humble, very organized, very meticulous in his approach. And I kind of look at those two schools and I'm like, wait a minute. Both of those guys on paper make some sense. Now, I think Georgia's in the best spot here, and this is all speculative. I'm just playing this out in my head. Texas is in very good position as well. But let's say Texas, for whatever reason, I think this is really possible. Maybe they don't go five and seven, but let's say they go seven and five this year. Is that a situation where Arch and his family are going to be comfortable sending him to Austin with Steve Sarkeesian now going into year three after this season, and maybe it's a little wobbly. And let's say for whatever reason, he doesn't want to go to Georgia, and that's a big hypothetical. Florida and LSU, to me, make some sense to him, and I wouldn't discount them down the line the longer that this kind of plays out. And the reason I brought that up is because he's planning on making a trip to Gainesville sometime <laughs> in the near future. Oh, I mean, I think Florida's, I don't want to say the dark horse in the recruitment, but they've been kind of sneakily like slotted themselves in right there. And, you know, I go back to when Richard Young told me that he was friends with Arch Manning and that they're both going to visit Florida together. And I was like, wait, what? I I didn't even know, you know, so they've been there. I I think you are right. I think, um, you know, it comes down to Billy Napier. He, He was in some big dog battles when he was at Alabama. You know, obviously he didn't see that at Louisiana. So, no, I, I think it is interesting. You know, what happens with Dante Moore, I, I think, speaks even a little bit more to this. You know, uh, no plan words right there, more, more. But, you know, he, he takes an official visit to LSU, right? Florida's trying to get involved in that. I don't think they're completely dead in that recruitment either. And then, you know, Oregon's in there, Miami's in there, um, Notre Dame, uh, <laughs> Michigan. It's like, I think Dante Moore you know, can kind of dictate what happens with what. Because I, I really think Manning's recruitment just beats – they his camp beats at the, to their own drum in, in terms of what's going on. But, no, that's certainly interesting. And I, 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 I begin to wonder, is normally we see these quarterback dominoes fall before the college football season starts. But given how much turnover there actually was, right, you know, how many big-time high-profile changes we saw this coaching offseason – does one of these big quarterback fish say, hey, you know what? I'm going to stretch this into the first couple of games of September and October. And obviously that would be unprecedented. I mean, you don't want to get hurt or anything like that if you're that kid. But could this be the year that we see one of those big fish say, hey, you know what? I'm in a, I know I got a spot at any one of these schools. I want to see how this plays out. Because normally it's commit, you know, decommit a month out before that early signing period but could this be the year and I think Arch Manning has the power to do that I think Dante Moore has the power to do that I think Jaden Rashada could potentially do that as well so you know of course the, all these guys can make a decision in the next three weeks and we sound like idiots but you know something that's starting to play out in my head could that be a situation I think all three of those guys eventually let this play out into the fall I think those were the, th- the three I was thinking about I think Manning you said it I think Dante Moore and I think Jaden Rashada because right now to me, they have the blue chip quarterback market, blue blood quarterback market, uh, all in their hands uh, between those three guys. Uh, and there's a lot of overlap between that. We talked about Florida. We talked about Notre Dame. We talked about LSU. All of these guys battling for the services of Rashada, Moore, Manning, uh, like we said. So that is going to be really fun to watch down the stretch. But, Drew, before we go, any last-minute thoughts, anything you want to touch on? Any anything you want to do to stretch out this show, maybe just a little bit more. <laughs> uh, you know, um, big big weekend coming up in, in South Florida. We got a eight team jamboree on uh, on 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 Saturday. I think there's a ton of top two four seven kids participating. Hakeem Williams, he had an inner squad scrimmage on Saturday. Was apparently went off. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Pittsburgh sent two coaches to this inner squad scrimmage, and to me. I'm sitting there scratching my head. I'm like, I'm Pittsburgh, right? You know, I just lost my star Blitnikoff award winning receiver. I think I'd be done with the big time receivers, but you know, they, they're there. They're fully invested in Hakeem Williams recruitment. Um, so that'll be fun. You know, it'll be a fun weekend. Florida track state meets start here in, in, in a few days. Um, King Mack, who I think is the guy we're going to talk about in our 
our rankings call on on Wednesday. You know, I saw him win a regional title in the 400 meter dash. I didn't know much about the 400. I mean, we always talk about the 100 and the 200, but if you can actually see a guy go out and run the 400, it was one of the most impressive athletic feats I think I've ever seen. You know, he essentially was like watching a horse race. I mean, he just took this corner and and he comes across the finish line and the kid couldn't even breathe. Um, you know, I just think it's it's a true test of endurance. Uh, and King Mac, you know, we, we, we used to talk about stock up guys. I, I was really impressed with him. He's going to take an official visit to Penn State uh, this summer. Michigan State's also in there. I think North Carolina offered after that. He won that regional title in the 400 meter dash. So uh, it's a busy weekend here in, in South Florida coming up in terms of we got track meets. We got spring football games and uh, I'm looking forward to it. This is a fun time. Drew's been cooking in the state of Florida, for those of you keeping count. Cree Whitmore into the top 24-7. He commits to Florida. Jakeem Jackson into the top 24-7, then gets a couple offers from Georgia and Alabama. He won't brag on himself, so I will. But for everybody, for, for Andrew Ivins and for myself, I appreciate everybody coming out today and uh, hearing us talk a little bit of college football recruiting. We'll be back next week, Tuesday, 930. If you have anything you want to talk about at all, you can hit me up. See the tag at 7 at Twitter, DM or shoot a reply. Either of them works. Appreciate it, guys. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.